0: Glory, you may be seated. Bless you. Amen. I like that song. Good old Oak Ridge Boys quartet song. Amen. Hallelujah. Who's got the Roast on at home today? Have you? Or the ham? Or the? We hope we don't... Uh, don't burn it up. I think we've got plenty of time to get in and get out of here. Amen. Yeah, that's the truth. I'm all that stands between you and dinner. Tonight we're going to have a great move of the Spirit. I can forecast that by how it feels in here this morning. And I look forward, Brother Steph, to hearing you break the word of life tonight. I enjoy your preaching very much. You do an excellent job. And I would uh, encourage you tonight to come early, be here for prayer, be involved in the worship, and get ready, get ready, get ready for the Lord to move in His own special way. Praise God. Amen. Before we put this one down on the calendar and say we had church and we're, we're ready to close up and close out, I think we better understand that the Word speaks to us today. And uh, what I'm planning on ministering to you in the next 30 minutes or so has been preaching to me for three or four days. You should have been at our house Between Friday night and Saturday morning about 3 o'clock, 3.30, the Holy Spirit began to call out names and numbers and wake people up. And from 3.30 on till about 7 o'clock Saturday morning, I, I was up walking the floor praying, seeking the Lord, getting ready for today, ready for this morning. I think it's a serious, serious, serious thing when a man like me, or you, or Pastor Sharon, or any other minister walks to this we call the sacred desk. There's actually nothing sacred about the wood and the glue and the nails. It's what goes over this that makes it sacred. And on a Sunday morning like today, the first day of June, 2014, it's a very, very eternity conscious reality that Thy Word, O Lord, will I hide in my heart that I might not sin against You. We live in a world and we inhabit a time that there are no rules. They call this Generation X because there are no rules. There are no commandments. There are no ordinances. There are no boundaries. You're exactly right. Polarity has ceased to be. It's not a matter of how what you do relates to what I do or what we as a group come to grips with affects us all. We live in a generation who has chosen to think that the rules do not apply. And it's true in government. Now, we're not going to get partisan and we're not going to get political political in here this morning. But it's true in government, whether local, state, or federal, We live in a time when those who are elected to office feel like that we elect them to become their own regulators, their own rulers. There is no balance anymore between the three parties of government. Instead, whatever is said on Capitol Hill is as though it came from Calvary Hill. And I got news for you. There's only one last word in all of this, and that's God's Word. Hallelujah. So, I think that it's important today that I preach to you the Word of the Lord, and then it becomes your responsibility to take the Word and put it to work in your life. I do not want to preach what I'm getting ready to preach to you and feel like that I am your judge or that I have any right to uh, speak backwards in time to those that have already uh, been a part of us and are gone out from us in the sense of no longer living or no longer uh, present. Nor am I preaching only to the future as though it doesn't affect the past and the present, but in the future such and such. I want to tell you, I believe in my heart. It's never been more urgent, more important for anyone to live right and do right than it is for me to live right, right now. For you to live right, right now. Your family needs you to live right. Your loved ones need you to take a righteous overview of life and and. I want to conduct you to the Word of the Lord in the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and that's not Mississippi either. It's uh, one of the churches of Asia. And he says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Verse 5, and from it I will take my theme, my text for today. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them, for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Oh, watch, watch, watch. Wherefore, let him that thinketh, he standeth. Take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now watch this. Now watch this. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation. Also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God bless you. You may be seated. Mm. Thank you for your patience. I know it was a long, extracted reading, but important. If we back up, To review what I read to you, there is a level of life that's implied. It's not explained. It's implied in the first word where it says, moreover. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I've been a part of the church, even a part of this church, way too long We've come way too far. We've forsaken too much. We've given up some things. We've departed out of some areas and we've taken on the hope of other things. And we've come way too far to ever think about being satisfied with bare minimum. There are a lot of people interested in those things which make for heaven and hell situations. I don't wish today to stop here and try to be your judge. I ministered the funeral yesterday of Kip Campbell, who died unexpectedly and way too young, only 49. He had a number of sicknesses, not exclusively two and limited to, but in large part due to uh, diabetes and COPD and, and other respiratory difficulties, and died unexpectedly. 49 is way too young. First time I ever seen Kit, he was sitting on the drums with drumsticks in his hand, getting ready to play for his Uncle Jack. For Jack Campbell and the ambassadors. The last I looked upon him, he was in the arms of the Lord. And I told the congregation of people what I'm getting ready to tell you. I've lived a long time since I first met him. I've lived many years since I first came to this church. And if there's only one or two things I can be certain of after all these years, then I want them to be important things. And I want to tell you, I am absolutely certain there's a God. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. And I'm just as sure I'm not Him. Amen. Right. But I know there's a heaven to gain, and I'm sure there's a hell to shun. Does anybody still believe in heaven and hell? Our world doesn't. Come on. The church world doesn't. It's amazing that a large percentage of clergy that are being turned out of our our, our seminaries and theological institutions of higher learning in this day and time do not believe in a heaven. They do not believe in a hell. And many of them do not even believe in God, but they believe in religion. They think that socially and scientifically, it'll make you better. Well, I've come today to tell you, I believe there's a heaven, yes, but I don't own it. I believe there's a hell, but I can't damn you to it. It's all in your hands, how you live. But hey, in the first word of the reading that I read to you today, moreover... I've come to tell you that I'm not willing to live the less. I'm not willing to live the lower. I'm not willing to accept minimums. If there ever was a time that I want to believe that heaven can be gained, I believe it today. If there ever was a time that I believed that hell could be shunned, I believe it today. I'm not here because I think That I'm hopelessly condemned to a devil's hell, judged beyond my own powers, and I can't do anything to change it. I do not believe I have sinned the unpardonable, nor do I believe that any of you have sinned the unpardonable. And let me give you proof for why I think that. I've seen people sit and grip the back of the bench with whited knuckles and be given an invitation to pray. And they say, I feel it, I want to pray but it won't do me any good. In my youth I did this or did that. Wait, stop for a moment. If you were hopelessly and helplessly condemned to a devil's hell, you wouldn't feel the emotion that brings on white knuckles. You wouldn't feel the reserve that brings on the anticipation of judgment and the angst of what I've done in younger life. No, that's what I call Conviction, And when you feel conviction, it's because there's a God in heaven that's willing to forgive you. That's waiting to hear your voice of repentance. And is able to embrace you into the arms of faith and change your life. My God, I'm so glad salvation has changed me. Am I all I want to be? No. Am I everything I need to be? Perhaps not. Is there room for change yet in my life and in my spirit? I'll guarantee you there is. But thanks be unto God, Calvary has made me different than I once was. The blood covers me to make me different than I might have been. And mercy paid the price so that I'm not what I used to be. Anybody in here claim the mercy and grace of God in your salvation? Thanks be unto God, I have discovered a moreover. I am living to the more. I am rising to the high. I am accepting the call of God to do better, become better, become much more excellent in my efforts unto God. I will not, I shall not, I should not, and since I should not, I cannot be willing to accept the minimums of just membership or association, or affiliation. I'm in this church for more than religion. I'm in it for more than good chili, and good fellowship, and hot dogs once a quarter. I'm in it for more than the promotions, and the productions, and the holiday seasons. I'm in it whether we have an evening service on Sunday, or we don't have. I'm in it if 10 a.m. is the only meeting time or if I'm the only one that shows up on Wednesday because I didn't get in the church for a social demeanor or climate. I got in the church to rise to a level of righteousness because I understand that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Oh, my dear brothers, And my dear sisters, break the chain with sin. Break the chain with the past. Break the yoke to the bondage of a world that may be headed to hell because you don't have to go there. You're saved by grace. It's not what you deserve, but you're saved by grace. Oh, would somebody praise the Lord for grace wherewith we're saved. It's a miracle, a sight to see. Wow. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. I don't even really like that word. We had a discussion at my kitchen table a few days ago. Miss Sharon and I and my middle child, Shawnee, was... Sitting there at the table and we began to discuss the fact that some words carry a tone and a harshness and a overture that's, that's painful and it's only words, but, but I arrived at a disposition in that conversation that I don't think the person knew what they were talking about that said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. Words are what hurt you. Words are what break your heart, what crush your spirit, what challenge your thinking and you know there are things that some folk use in just common vernacular, and they think nothing i'm not I'm not going to try to be the vocabulary police today. I'm not going to try to put you on a guilt trip because you use the word stupid or you use the word ignorant or. Or you talk about folk being MR. Uh, you know, there's a lot of those things that we don't use. We don't use racial words in our home. We don't use racial words in our home. I recently had a minister visit my home and insulted my home by using the N-word in my home. Fortunately, I didn't hear it or I would have asked them to leave. We have dismissed people from our Christian school for using the word. We have dismissed people from our close associations by using racial and slanderous hate language in our presence. And I'm not trying to be your vocabulary police. You may be crude and lewd and unlearned and use those kind of redneck words. And I'm not mad at you. I'm not even going to say you're stupid because I don't use that language. But I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to get involved in that. And in fact, one of my grandchildren the other day said to me, came in the house and they called the name of some other little child on the bus. I don't know who the child was. And they go to Hawkham School, so it's it's probably not anybody that's related to anybody here, but they said, Papa, and they called out the little child's name, said, they used the S word on me today. And I I really didn't know what the S word was, but you know, when they start in, it's words they can't use and they can't say, I get nervous. And I said, oh, really? Well, I'm so sorry about that onyx. I'm sorry that that somebody used a a word with you that they, well, Papa, I want to know something. Am I what the S word is? And then she had me in real hot water. I said, well, let's talk this over. She said, no, we don't have to talk it over. Am I stupid or am I not? Boy, I breathed a sigh of relief. The S word. So that brought on all this discussion about and and in the opinion of some of those gathered in that little threesome ignorant and again I say I don't like the word. I don't want to be called ignorant. You're not close enough to me. I don't care what our friendship is. To call me ignorant, I, that, that, that turns me off. I don 't like that. In fact, when somebody says that, I want to hit them. Now, up to now, i 've stayed close enough to saved, and they 've stayed far enough away that I can 't quite reach their nose. But there's something about ignorant when I hear it, makes my fist want to collide with their nose. that 's horrible. But, you know, that's just the weakness of the flesh. If you start living to the low level of the flesh, you're liable to do things. But, you know, in all of this discussion, I was told and I partially believe that ignorant in the setting of the use of that word is not talking about a mental aptitude. I want to make sure you understand that so you think, I'm not using crude language with you. It's not talking about some aptitude failure that you have. It's talking about there are things in life we learn. And there are things in life some don't learn. And consequently, the same is true with the church. Hey, I have no doubt that I'm preaching to a group of people that love the Word, read the Word, love to live for Christ. You feel the Lord when He moves. You, you know when He is and you know where He's not. But there's some people that they don't differentiate between what's the Lord and what's only emotion. Have I got just a minute to go there? I've been in places where I didn't feel God nowhere around. There was just emotion Somebody had had a rough day, they was whiny, they was, they was down, they were subdued, and they thought it was anointing. And you've got to be very careful not to offend that kind of person because their feelings are just as real to them as yours are to you. Whiny, low, negative feelings to me are not about God. It's about, oh, suck it up. Get a grip. Come on, yes, you're having a bad day, but you don't have to let it turn into a bad week. You know what I've made up my mind? I've made up my mind that Christ died for the ungodly. That righteousness will exalt our nation. That godliness and holiness uh, is, is a safeguard against us violating the laws of God and make us an overcomer. And there may be some people who in the setting of what it said, they in unbelief or they in lack of proper education and counsel of the Word don't know what to do. But i got news for us. If we've been taught, if we've been instructed, if we've come into the experience of the glorious grace of Almighty God, we don't need to slough off and slack back and act as if we don't know. You know what we ought to get up every Monday morning and live all week doing? Trying to rise to the very highest of our capability as a believer, as a follower of Christ. We don't need to excuse our weaknesses, our faults, and our failures because we're flesh. We just do not need to overlook the reality that we are the flesh. And if you fail, have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's ever before the throne making intercession for you and me. You may not need Him this morning, but you may need Him before bedtime tonight. You may not be in error now, but before midweek service, you may be saying, pray for me, I need repentance. Hey, I've come to tell you, there's a high calling of believership that you're called into, and you can make it because of grace. Because of grace. Now, watch this. Watch this. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be uneducated. I don't want you to fail to realize. Now watch, watch. How all our fathers were under the cloud and pass through the sea. He's talking about Israel escaping Egypt. Egypt's a type of sin, damnation, the world, the lost. The Red Sea's a type of reconciliation unto God, a type of our baptism, our our coming into fellowship and faith with God. The wilderness is a type of the process that works the flesh out of you, works the evil out of you. And then Canaan is a type of the church where you overcome your giants. You overcome your fears. You overcome the the cities of the plain and the cities of the mountains that do not know God. Hey, since you've been in the church, a lot of things have had to be shaken off of you. Since you've been in the church... You've had to escape the terror and the horror of a lot of things. Since you've been in the church, you've had to work at an overcoming lifestyle. The church is not heaven. We're still flesh in the church. Canaan is not a type of heaven because there are no giants in heaven. There are no cities to conquer in heaven. There are no walls to fall down in heaven. But in the church, we still have to defeat our Jerichos. We still have to drive out our enemies. We still have to overcome our giants. Oh my God. Cuckabur Holler can become our Goliath if we're not careful. And we can spend the rest of our career talking about the revivals of Cuckabur Holler or of some other year that we had them here. But I got news for you there are still giants that somebody needs to strap on the sword and say, I'm not satisfied just to kill Goliath. I don't believe that Goliath's sword is better than any other. Or I don't believe that that brazen serpent that we took down in the wilderness after we had been healed of the bites of the serpents is something that is of holy vesture to put in the sanctuary to worship. We have to be careful That we don't worship our culture. That we don't worship our worship. That we don't even worship our victories. Because there's going to be new giants. New mountains. New overcomings. New trials. And oh, Sister Taylor, I don't want to stay here. I want to go on to higher heights. I want to reach forward to deeper depths. Ladies and gentlemen... I don't want the church of yesteryear to be the best I've ever known. I don't want just a blind hope of what's not yet come and may be in my future to be what I'm constantly looking for and living for. I'm here to tell you, the Holy Ghost I've got in my soul right now is real. The overcoming power that I have right now is real. It's the best I've ever felt. It's the best I've ever known. And when I get back tonight, it's going to be better. It's going to be greater. It's going to be more gracious. I am not living to the less. I'm living to the more. Praise God. They did all eat the same meat, and they did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock. And they followed that rock which is Christ. Christ is the head of this church. That always has been. That's a good statement. I am not the head of this church. I have never been the head of this church. I have never been in control of this church. The control over you through the church of the Most High God is through Christ. Unless Christ is the head of your life, you're living in delusion. You're living in false doctrine. But oh, if Christ is the head of your life, then you can understand no weapon fashioned against you is going to prosper. You'll be an overcomer through the blood of the Lamb and by the words of your testimony. Thanks be unto God that giveth unto us the victory. Is anybody in here glad you've got the victory through Jesus Christ? But now, here comes the text. They all repented the same way. They ever one got baptized the same way. They all received the same Holy Ghost. That's what I read. That's what you heard. They had the same victories. They overcome the same enemies. They fought the same giant. They conquered the same cities. They went forth from victory to victory together. They all experienced the same thing. But with some of them, God was not pleased. My preaching to you and my text to you today is in the form of a A question and a consideration. What do you think it takes? Where is that invisible line to the eye of man unseen? What are those area of things that after you've repented, after you've been baptized, after you've gotten the Holy Ghost, after you've attended mighty revivals, you've seen miracles. You've gone forth from the infant stage and the ignorant stage into the understanding of who God is for him to reach the place that he says. And I'm paraphrasing, but this is what that verse is saying. They're just not worth it. It's just not going to happen. And then it launches into the outgrowth of things that happen to people after God gives up on them. And it's scary, frankly. I personally believe any sin you commit, God's capable of forgiving. Does anybody else in here believe that? And... I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I couldn't make you raise your hand, but you know what I'm saying. I'm not going to insist that you raise your hand, but every one of us have sinned after we came to the knowledge of the saving power of the blood of Jesus Christ, I dare say. I I dare say not a one of us have wings sprouting out between our shoulder blades. But I'm glad I can stand here this morning and tell you God hadn't give up on me yet. God hadn't looked at me and said, He's not worth it. I give up. Hey, I want to tell you something. When God gives up, you're in trouble. When God says, It ain't going to work. It ain't going to take. I've vaccinated them with the good word of the Lord. I've immunized them through faith and through the power of the cross. I've washed them with the washing of regeneration. I've filled them with the Holy Ghost. They've seen miracles. They've danced in the Spirit. They've run the aisles. They've been preaching. Hey, honey, wake up and smell the coffee. We've had some of the greatest preaching. We've had some of the best meetings. We've had some of the greatest moves of God right here in our church that I know of anywhere. I would be hard-pressed to tell you of any better opportunity to get from earth to glory than right here from the pews of First United Pentecostal Church. Therefore, I don't ever want God to look at me and say, you're just not going to make it, Magruder. You just don't have what it takes. I gave you the Holy Ghost. I forgave you of your sins. I washed you through baptism. I heard your prayers of repentance. You've seen it all. But it just is not taken. Oh no. If it takes me getting up in the middle of the night and praying through, every night I want to do it. If it takes me right in the altar bench every time there's a message preached and an invitation given. When you give an invitation tonight, if I've got to go back to the altar again, I'd rather do that than God to ever say, I give up on you. Some years ago in a low moment in his life, whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord. That's what I'll be willing to do. Hey, I don't understand how it is that repentance works so good, that repentance is so powerful, and you feel so cleansed and so revolutionized when you repent, and then you can walk out of the presence of God. And I'm not saying you as though it doesn't happen to me. I'm talking about all of us. You can walk out of the presence of God. Forgiven for a fleshly failure. A human weakness. And you can say, I'll never go back there. I'll never do that again. I'll never be a part of that attitude. Or that spirit. Or that complaint again. Only to fall back into the throes of that same sin. Over and over. But i got news for you. He told His disciples, You don't forgive somebody that repents seven times in a day. You forgive them 70 times 7 in a day if they repent. So there's hope even for the chronic repeat offender of the laws of God. But there is a point where God gets enough and says no more. And I don't want to go there. I don't want to be a part of that. Have I got anybody else that joins me in that testimony? I don't ever want to wear out the mercies of God. In my life, it says all of these things that's written in the 10th chapter of Corinthians is so that we'll have examples, so that to the intent of understanding. The desires that will corrupt you as opposed to the desires that will uphold you, lift you up. It's all about learning to want and reach and have an intent and desire for the right things. You can want the right thing but for the wrong reason and it will corrupt you. It says we must not lust after evil things. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. I've been going to school on myself the last two or three days about idolatry. I'm not ready to preach a big sermon on it or draw lines in the sand like some proverbial Alamo and say it's, Time for us to remember. But idolatry is a whole lot more in what I'm studying and what I'm finding out than setting up a golden calf and dancing around it. Idolatry is any time and anything that causes us to be separated from the presence of the Most High God and comes between us and true faith in God. When you give a substitute worship. I don't want NFL football to become an idol to me. I don't want NBA basketball to become an idol to me. I don't want baseball or my hobbies or anything. To become an idol to me. And idolatry. Idolatry slips in on us so silently, so stealthily, until you don't even realize that you're replacing God. I want to tell you, you better keep time in your day every day to read that book. There's no news on Fox or CNN. So important that you can go all day with just keeping up with the news, but not keeping up with the Word. You need the Word of God. Boy, that went over like a... But it's true. Remember it said the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play? That's Exodus chapter 32 when idolatry took them over. And then verse 8 says, Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed And fell in one day, 23,000 people were destroyed of the Lord over their uncleanness. And fornication in this verse is in fact talking about more than a sexual act. It's talking about a spiritual and a personal uncleanness. That refuses to be regulated. I'm not the godliness police. But I can tell you about me. I want to be very, very careful when I develop any attitude of, You're not going to tell me how to live for God. You're not going to tell me what I can do and what I can't. Well, why can't I do that? Is it heaven or hell? No, but that attitude's fornication. Oh, I don't believe that, preacher. I don't believe that. Fornication is a sexual sin between two people that are not married, and usually it's between the unmarried because it becomes adultery after people are married, etc., etc. No, you're talking about physical fornication. Let me give you a biblical example. The Bible spoke of Esau, and it said, don't be a profane and evil person as Esau, a fornicator. There's nothing in Genesis that says Esau was into some kind of illicit relationship with somebody in the community. Do you know what his fornication was? He didn't take seriously the blessings of God. He didn't take seriously what God was doing in his life. And he would trade his heritage, his hope, what he is for a bowl of beans. I want to tell you something. When church is not important enough to you, that you forget what it's about before you get home. I'm not talking about remembering the text or remembering the sermon. I'm talking about stretching the rules, stretching the regulations, making whatever you want it to mean, mean that to you. And Well, I don't believe that, and I'm not down to that, and I never did understand that. That's just a preacher. No, I'll tell you what that is. That's a spirit of fornication that says the Bible don't count. The truth don't count. Righteousness don't count. All that matters is what I think I need from me and from my and from mine. i got news for you folks. We're in a shifting morality. We're in a changing generation. The world doesn't look a lot like the world looked when I was growing up. And some of you were growing up. But I still believe that it pays to pray. I still believe that it pays to worship. I still believe... It pays to go a little too far in terms of personal commitment and con- uh, consecration than it does to say nothing counts but what I think will send me to hell. It says be careful, be cautious, be concerned because they reached the point that they tempted Christ. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed of serpents. It says that rock that followed them was Christ. Now watch this, Brother Steph. That rock that followed them was Christ you remember when Moses got so angry at the people that he couldn't stand them anymore? He got so upset with them that what they were chiding him about, water, give us water, give us, give us meat. We're tired of this angel food. And, and, and the quail come in and, and they were knee deep in quail and they eat until they were full and some of them gagged and they said, we've got to have water. If we don't have water... And in a moment of frustration, in a moment of anger over this present world's darkness, Moses took his staff and in a fit of rage, what did he do? He smoked Christ. Christ don't matter. I'm mad at Christ this church. I'm opposed to this regulation. I don't like this standard. Watch out. When you strike Christ, you could get destroyed by serpents. I got news for you. I believe there's a real devil out there. See, isn't that foolish? That poor old bishop. He's so crazy, he believes in a devil. Yes, I do. I believe in a real devil. I believe in a devil that demon possesses people that strike Christ. I believe that some things that are thought of as a bad temper are really a demon possession. I think that some things that are thought of as some kind of a little temperance Temperament disorder is really somebody that smoked Christ often enough. They got a devil, and they ain't ever going to get well until somebody that's not scared of them and not scared of their devil looks them in the eye and says, I rebuke you. There was a time in the New Testament when a guy got so caught up in himself that he thought his money would... God help us. We can't ever reach the place in this church that we think our tithe or our offerings or what we give or how much we got is going to make a difference in what God demands of us. i got news for you. The person that don't have two nickels to rub together needs to be buried in baptism, needs to be filled with the Spirit, and needs to live a holy life. And the person who is the most blessed among us, whoever that might be, it's their good pleasure and their, it's their honor to say, I dedicate my life to Jesus. I dedicate all that I have, all he's blessed me with, everything he's given. I got news for you. I'd rather give it all to God and spend one night with the serpent. Oh, God, I don't want the serpents. Stand with me, I got to quit. Verse ten. Neither murmur ye. As some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. I think this is the biggest enemy to the end time church bigger than the serpents, bigger than the smite and the rock, bigger than any of the examples were given of the Old Testament. Is people who have been around the things of God long enough that they feel like somehow they've gained the advantage of having a right to be a complainer. It's my right to murmur. I support it, I back it, I help pay the light bills. I'm why the fans are going. I've been in the work of the Lord long enough that it might not have got this for except for, except for. i got news for you. There's always going to be things. I'm talking about me now. I'm not talking about any of you. Let's get it straight if we get it. I'm talking about me. I cannot afford to ever reach the place That I think I've contributed enough, I've given enough, I've been in it long enough, I've been in charge enough times and enough things that my opinion counts for anything when it comes to negativity and murmuring. I'm telling you. God's getting me up at night and condemning me in my spirit over murmuring and complaining. I'll tell you what I've made up my mind. If I don't like it, I'm going to make it better. I'll tell you what I've determined. If there's things that ain't running the way I want them to run, I'm going to get my life running in the shape where... God's going to like how I'm running because I don't want to sit around and murmur over somebody else not running like I think they ought to run. And God gets so sick of me and my disposition that He says, Magruder, you just ain't worth it. Because always and invariably you'll find those people who have sinned away their day of grace Ultimately, coming back in hopes of one more forgiveness, one more regeneration. Whew. All these things is for our example upon whom the ends of the earth is come. That he that thinketh he stand might take extreme caution, lest he. Anybody joins me today in saying, I don't want to fall. I don't want to fall short of the mercy. I don't want to fall short of the grace. I don't want my own complaining and my own murmuring to cause God to fail to take stock of my need. I don't want to wind up in the Fangs and in the grasp of serpents because I've smitten the rock which is Christ. I want to turn back to the rock. We have a beautiful parody in the New Testament of what we can do at times like this. It says there's a rock and that rock's Christ. And if you realize your need of Christ and you fall on that rock, you'll be broken. I pray God break my spirit. I pray God break down my attitude. I pray God break down everything that's unlike you that might be in me. Maybe I'm way off target and maybe nobody fits this preaching but me. And if that's so, then okay. After all of these years, maybe it's all right for one sermon to be preached to me but I want the rock to break me I don't want the rock to fall on me because it says if I fall on that rock it'll break me and in my brokenness I can be rebuilt but if I wait and that rock falls on me it'll grind me to powder it'll emulsify me it will so grind me until there's nothing left to mend I don't ever want it to be my testimony that somebody else in the church looks around. Remember that old brother Magruder that used to be here? Whatever happened to him? Maybe somebody else younger would say, Man, I don't know, I've heard that name, but I don't know what happened to him. Yeah, I think my my grandparents said he used to be here, but he's not here anymore. And if you were to make it important enough to search it out and track it down, they'd say, oh, you mean you don't understand? That man reached the point at the end of his life, he gave up God. He gave up the thing he had stood for, the thing he would preached about, the thing that he said he loved, and the thing that he told all of us would get us to heaven. I don't know what happened to him. He's not here anymore. He wound up going horribly awry, horribly astray. And as far as I know, He is. But I want to tell you, that's what happens to people that God gives up on. God, don't ever give up on me. I may die with drool running down the side of my mouth. I could lose my faculties to where I wouldn't recognize you, and you would not be able to get me to remember The people that are my children, that are my family, the messages I've preached, the songs I've written, the the, the poems that I've, I've held dear in my heart to put my verse to. I have no guarantee that I'll keep those faculties in place. My dear old mother got so ridiculously affected by dementia and Alzheimer's that she didn't know who she was. We actually gave her red Skittles because she wanted medicine all the time. And we would give her red Skittles instead of Tylenol to make her think that she was being ministered to in the physical. And she was so happy just to get them. She would reach a place that she didn't know Christmas. She didn't know Easter. She couldn't cook. She'd leave the... the the stove on until she'd catch the pans on fire and dad had to be careful that she didn't get up in the night because she might burn the place down she got so ridiculously affected by her mental disorder she didn't know her children she didn't know her husband she didn't know who she was but you could start singing amazing grace how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me. And she'd start to hum first. And then she'd break in the song. No, she didn't have it left up here. But God had not walked away and said, I give up on her. Do you understand what I'm preaching to you? They all were baptized in the same water. They all ate from the same bread. They all partook of the same cup. But some, God just reached a place, I'm not pleased with them anymore. I don't want that to be me. Is there anybody else in here that does not want that to be them? If that's your testimony, I'm not going to prolong you, I'm not going to try to get you to weep on the altar or pray through, but come up here and let's pray for one another. Come on right now. If you don't want that to be you, I don't want that to be me. Preacher, I'm with you. I don't want that to be me. I don't want to go away from God and never get back. I don't want murmuring and complaining or, or anger against God or the things of God or, or transgression against the faith. I don't want something I know or something I don't know to cause me to get taken astray. Oh God, it's ever one of us. Look at this. Look around. It's ever one of us. We all feel the same things. We all feel the same burden. We all feel the same pressures. Life rides us hard. Life puts us to the test. But oh God, don't ever let go of my hand. Reach out right now and put your hand as though it were in the hand of faith. Reach up as though you're reaching out for the hand of God. And tell Him, Jesus, I don't want you to ever give up on me. Jesus, don't ever stop touching me. I need your forgiveness. I want you, Lord. Sing to us right I need you, Jesus. I need you every hour. Oh, don't pass us by. Preach out right now and pray with the ones around you. Lay your hands on somebody there by you and pray with them. We all need each other. Don't give up on me. Oh my God! Pray for me too. Tell God, don't let him lose this way. Don't let him lose his faith. Come on, come on, who can I pray with, who can I pray with, who can I reach out and touch and believe with, come on to me, come on to me, anybody that I can pray with, anybody that wants me to pray with you too and you want to pray with me, come on right now, gather up, gather up, I don't ever want Him to stop using me, never God, never God, oh hallelujah, I need you, God. I need you, God. I need the faith and the fellowship of these men, God. Don't ever stop touching us. Don't ever stop meeting us. We need you. We need you. We've come too far. It's such a miracle. There's so much forgiveness. Unlike any time. We need you. Johnny, we need it. Clyde, we need it. Oh, God, we need Brother Matt Millen, we need it worse than we did when we were young men. We can't afford, Brother Casey, to have a loose house. Oh, God. I need your mercy. I need your grace. Yes, we do. That's the truth. You're praying in all of it. I need your grace. Obrigado I need your grace I can't make it without you Not even one day I need your mercy I need your grace We're going out of here different than we came in How many of you can say amen to that? We're going out of here different than we came in We're going to be different this afternoon than we would have been. We're going to be changed. We're not going to be like we were. Hallelujah. God's not going to cast us off. Because we're not going to quit falling on the rock. Don't forget to be back at 5 tonight for prayer. 5.30 worship begins. Go out praising the Lord. Go into peace and admonition of Jesus Christ. You're loved. God bless you. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah.